Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone, my guest today is a writer, a documentary producer, a run club leader and most recently the co-founder of an inclusive trail running adventure across the Peak District. He's told the stories of some of the world's most decorated athletes from heptathlete Jessica Ennis-Hill to free skier James Woods to Elliot Kipchoge to the Lionesses, drawing out the nuances of their experiences into insightful portraits that capture the voice and personality behind the media face. Having halfway finished their hot cross bun, <laughs> they've been munching on in our preamble. I'll now invite them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, welcome. Oh, welcome. Oh, I'm, that's just bad for <laughs> No, me. I say that bit. You're I the welcome. <laughs> You're the welcome. I'm not used to being on this side. Thanks for having me. Um, thank you for having me. I'm Tom, Tom Reynolds. Uh, yeah, well, you've you've introduced most of it there. Um, well, I was like, kind of blushing and sort of like oh yeah was that me um yes I'm all those things and I um and a Grimsby Town football fan lapsed and um yeah just generally someone that's like loves being outdoors so all those things that you've said and um those couple of bits more um I don't think I can add that much to that it's a lot it went on (laughs) <laughs> sometimes they're longer than that I was pretty succinct there I think but <laughs> can I just go into that lapsed football fan what happened um growing up I used to go and watch Grimsby all the time um and then my family moved away from that area or well, when I went to university and then I left I left um I left Lincolnshire for good as it were and so I just kind of I still love, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm still a, a Grimsby fan at heart, but I, I think I fell out of love with football or was less um, less into football when I started working in it, I think. Okay. Football is a, um, men's football is a hard work, let's just say that. Uh, the, the women's game is a lot more open and inclusive and everyone's, um, yeah, happier to chat and uh, more open, I guess, than the men's game especially when I started out in journalism, the men's game was really closed and hard work to get hold of people. And and so I think I just moved away from football and team sports really in general. So that's why I'm still a Mariners fan forever, but only um, only part-time. Is there any part of you that kind of grieves that team sports association? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I, I have thought about... Um, 
because I'm I'm drawn now more to uh, cycling, running, things in the outdoors, and things that are often or often can be more sort of solitary. Uh, they often are, um, which I enjoy and I've sort of grown to love. But I I do miss and I do like. I mean, the Peak Divide was like that. It was a very like inclusive seventy odd runners and people running together there were big groups of people running together like a sort of cycling peloton so I really enjoyed the fact that um, there was big groups together so I do miss it I thought about going back to football and I've thought about cricket was actually a sport that I played a lot to a relatively high standard growing up and I do miss that and um, for all it's uh yeah I wonder how I'd get on in that sort of hyper masculine world of a football team now but I I do miss it sometimes yeah mm, and let's just talk about the peak divide because it did strike me when you're talking about team sports that the kind of recreation element of that in in the community aspect of the peak divide and you've just got back from that so let's just discuss what that entailed and where it where it started and what the conceit behind it was yeah it was a I think it probably is a well, the Peak Divide is a as we is a two day um, social trail running adventure um, that was that was cooked up in a pub, um, like a lot of good ideas, like the well, like the London Marathon was as well. Um, London Marathon was late in a pub, I believe. Um, someone sort of said that um, what's his name, Disley, and um, I'm going to forget the other person's name, Disley, and someone else. Uh, dreamt up the idea of London Marathon in the pub. And this time last year or February 2022, um, my friend Luke Douglas, who runs Outdoor Provisions, which is a sort of all-natural energy snacks company. Um, nut butters are amazing. You should try them if you haven't. They're absolutely delicious. We um, got in the product placement. Yeah, it <laughs> was. I went early. I went early. <laughs> Luke, Luke's been messaging me. I'm on. He hasn't. He hasn't. Um <laughs> Yes, so Luke, me, Luke and I and Stefan, who also lives in the Peak District, um, we were in the pub and Luke said, do you think we could run to, Man uh, to Sheffield next weekend? And I said, from where? Sorry, I said, yes, I'm sure we can. From where? And he was like, from here. And I was like, well, we're in, we're in Manchester. That's like a long way. He's like, yeah, but um, why not sort of thing? And Luke's got previous with, he's a, Designed the route for the Second City Divide, which is the bikepacking route between Glasgow and Manchester, the two second cities. And he's a, ridden his bike around the world with his wife. And he's a, yeah, he's a route planner. And so is Stefan, to be fair. He runs a bike touring company. So, um, yeah, they came up with a route and we we went and did it. Um, and out of that, out of that sort of beta edition became the the this at Christmas time, Luke and I were sitting around saying, do you think we can, think we could do it? Do you think we could make it happen uh, as an event this year to bring, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, whatever together to run to Sheffield over a weekend from the middle of Manchester to the middle of Sheffield across the Peak District. Uh, bet you barely cross the road, really. It's all, it's a trail run. And um, yeah, it, it was born out of that. We went from there. We and Stefan is a uh, is a whiz with not only with the um, the cooking and the hosting. He was like he was in, he was amazing. He did like 
the feedstock had had Noki at it rather than you know we had we had Noki at the feedstock rather than like um, energy gels and jelly babies. You know we wanted it to be a sort of um, and a a journey and adventure, a sort of um, yeah, a, a weekend out rather than um, a race. It's resolutely not a race. There's no clock. There's no uh, winners or losers. So. Yeah, we met, we between us made it into an event, and on April first and second we did it. So last weekend, um, yeah, and it was amazing, and it was it was the vibe that we wanted it to be. We got lucky with the weather. Yeah, the feeds that we got, um, Campanio Bakery in Manchester did did the catering, a lot of the catering. So there was amazing bread, there was amazing pasta, posh pasta party on the Saturday night. We just wanted it to be. It was sort of a lift. Those boys and me too. We we met mainly through bike packing, um, and so it was a little bit of a bike packing type vibe. The idea that yeah, you could eat a bowl of knocky and then just sort of slowly set off walking for a bit and then break into a run when your knocky had gone down. So it's yeah, it was a um, it was amazing. It was really great. I think people loved it, and I think we certainly loved it. I certainly did, and it had that coming back round to your question very belatedly it had that tre- it had that sort of a team sort of feeling to it certainly a like commonality of the people that were running which i really i really loved and i hope that yeah i really enjoyed that part of it i hope people did too and i imagine seeing it through the eyes of a storyteller as well alongside the overarching narrative of how it came to fruition and your own journeys along that process, it must have been really interesting to see the narratives unfold for the people on that journey as well who you'd brought together. Absolutely. I mean, I I ran at, I was the sweet runner, so I ran at the back. So I generally hung out with the same similar people during the weekend. But yeah, like there was some there was some yeah you're you're sort of in that thing when you're spending eight or nine hours with people a day you're like you're hearing a lot about their stories and and we were we were keen that we um yeah we were keen that it was yeah well if it, if it isn't a race I think then inevitably people approach it in a different way and there are different people turn up and there are people that were that hadn't done an ultra before we we sort of call it an ultra fun run um and it's for the sort of ultra ultra curious is how we sort of have turned it and I think yeah I think you get a lot of um you get a lot of people's stories people share a lot when they're exhausted or exhilarated or um fed up or you know I, I, I reckon that when everyone's at their sort of well yeah people are more open at their lowest and their highest I think is what I'm getting at and so there were a lot of stories that you heard in there and people were super honest. Yeah, I think it's, there's a million, there's well probably 76 people started. So there's probably 76 stories without sounding too trite about it. And the Peak Divide feels like a bit of a conduit um, of the kind of vibe of the one foot forward run club that that you're involved with as well. And I've read a little bit about that um through your Instagram and I'm curious how that's grown from again what I understand a beer with a friend <laughs> into something that connects so many others through running absolutely and that again is a conversation um 
think well there's two things you start saying yes to things and like stuff starts to happen and again that sounds really like sounds really trite as I'm saying it but Stefan uh, another Stefan too many Stefans but Stefan uh, looks after uh, marketing and events and there's a is a force of nature um track brewery a lovely lovely man uh who is a friend of mine and he messaged me once saying um he messaged me about 18 months ago saying do you think um i want to start a run club at the brewery who do you know anyone that could start it and i was like me and he's like okay that was really easy and and like from a two second whatsapp we started we started talking about it so it's a it's a yeah it's an inclusive running club it's once a month as it stands although we're gonna go in may we're gonna trial going doing things doing it weekly um and mixing it up a little bit but um yeah it's a once a month running club uh out of the middle of manchester we run again completely off road other than one road crossing up and out and do a 5k route on the first wednesday of the month and we finish back at the um brewery for a beer um from track usually sonoma which is their like the beer of yeah the beer of all beers um yeah or a soft drink or whatever anyone wants but um yeah it's a the idea is that it's a yeah it's an inclusive running club it's it's not really there's no no one gets dropped there's someone on the front and the back and and it and it started off there was probably Stefan and I said to each other on message the day of that first running club on the well the first Wednesday of January 2022 we messaged in the day saying well if if we turn up and it's just me and you then we'll go for a run and it'll be fine and probably 15 20 people turned up and and now we regularly get sort of over 50 um yeah and it's really it's a really nice vibe like it's a it's spawned other clubs there's a, a few girls women in the club that now run run a book club out of their you know separate to um the running club it's just a nice i think it's just a nice way to bring people together um i have yeah i well as i said to you before i think i think people are more open or i i certainly am more open on the move or like when i'm moving or when i'm yeah i find that a, a way to share or be more open and um i think uh i think the club sort of gets towards that um yeah it's just a it's just a way movement moving and sharing i i think there's i think there's something in that i've got and a those, few ideas around that to yeah for the future and those words of um inclusivity and openness are ones that that you've touched on a few times, um, both in conjunction with with football, um, with the Peak Divide, and and with the Run Club as well. And I was wondering, what's your personal connection to those words? Inclusivity and openness. Hmm. Um, well, I think openness, first of all, is a without without being um, what's the word to. gendered about it I think like as a man I don't think I was particularly open um or I haven't been down the years and I've struggled with that and I tried to be a bit more I tried to be more so now so I think 
anything that anything that facilitates that for me it's a for me talking from my experience running moving cycling being outdoors maybe being like next to you know the idea of I'm like moving my hands forgetting it's a podcast the idea of being riding or running next to each other and and sort of talking and being open then I find that a lot more I from experience find that easier so I think so I wonder if it is the same for other people and just inclusivity is um I've been I'm not a particularly fast runner and I never was uh I'm not a particularly fast cyclist um I've done quite a lot of long distance you know I've done long runs and I've and I've done quite a lot of bikepacking and long multi-day bikepacking and that um that that rewards sort of staying power not um speed I think and I think so I think I just for me inclusivity is really important because it um I've I've been the person off the back you know chasing after people or feeling like you're uh yeah, feeling like you maybe don't belong because you're not fast enough or or not. Um, yeah, so I just I, I I believe that inclusivity and making things sort of achievable for all. The first person at the peak divide probably finished is forty one kilometers the first day. I think the first people finished. We set off at half nine, and the first people finished at two ish, and we came in at six. And like we've everyone's had the same adventure. We all got clapped in, you know, and I just think that's. I just think, and I, I suppose that brings it back around to team sports as well. They have that, there's an element of exclusivity around team sports and it can be like, certainly in male team sports, it's quite macho and um, yeah. So I think that's just been a bit of a, a journey towards being less like that, I guess. And that's why I enjoy it. And that's why it's important. And just to dive back into your background, does that connect also in your move away from that more kind of competitive team sports arena and connecting to the outdoors in terms of the outdoors in nature um, and the trail running? Yes, basically. There's a short answer to that. I think, um, I think, yeah, I think I've just moved um, I think I've just moved away from uh, or just enjoy and I'm drawn to the outdoors like and that sounds quite on a like worthy level but drawn to being out um, as much as possible and I think I don't know yeah teams I don't know I think there's some as a I think team sports or that uh, stadiums and they're amazing arenas and I've been lucky to like see see and like reported on from when I was a print journalist reported in like big arenas or you know yeah lots of arenas all over the world and that's an amazing they're amazing and I wouldn't ever not want to go to those big arenas but the there's something free freeing about sports that are that much more wild I suppose and your own running, and you've mentioned bikepacking as well, which I know that you've co-authored um, a book on routes across the world on too. That's obviously reflected in the subject focus um, of your work in the creative arena, both at both for BBC Sports and your own freelance work. Other aspects of running that inform your writing and filmmaking process that 
aren't necessarily just the subject matter? Yes, uh, in in a short answer, I think um, I think um, that I think that sort of the running and the and the and the cycling and and being outdoors is I suppose it has drawn me to those. It it I'm drawn to um, stories in especially in not necessarily in documentaries because that um, and we'll talk about that I'm sure but the I guess the BBC's focus is a little bit more on um, a little bit more mainstream inevitably um, but in terms of like the written work I do like I'm completely drawn to I find myself drawn to yeah people that are doing things doing things different I like to think the peak divide is different I like to think like my approach to sort of exercise and being out is a little bit different from like checking your watch and checking like your pace and things like that and I think I'm drawn to um I'm I'm certainly drawn to stories where you can take your time over it uh I'm gonna you know I like the idea of spending a day with someone and and actually sort of getting stuck into what what makes them tick or what who they are or what you know I've got a couple of projects where I'm going to actually go and sort of yeah spend a spend a full day with someone like I love that the idea that you actually get the time to um understand someone a little bit and and I guess again that's you know I'd rather now spend eight, eight hours sort of walking running shuffling to Sheffield than sort of um charging around on a football field for 90 minutes so I suppose it's that the approach if I am answering your question is having that taking more time to understand like stories and and people that where you can actually get stuck in or understand a little bit more or try to understand a little bit more about someone like one of my favorite and I've never been able to write it anywhere because um it just hasn't come up in a piece but one of my favorite like anecdotes from at the uh sports personality one year I was because I'd spent a fair bit of time with um Kipchoge Elliot Kipchoge in Africa um we I went to his sort of camp for three or four days, went for a run, which was fun um, with him, not just um, not just on my own. Um, and one of my favorite. So we because I had spent a fair bit of time with him and had this sort of relationship with him of sorts, had interviewed him a few times. Um, we when he came to Sports Personality, I was asked to be a chaperone for the day. And when we got to the airport, when I got him from the airport and he came in and he'd been at Exeter the previous day, um, Exeter University, I think it was, getting a honorary doctorate. And his agent uh, was with him. And he came through at the airport and we were chatting away about Elliot and, and the last couple of days. And and she told me this, well, it was one of, one of his agents, I think. She told me this story of him. They had got from the train from Exeter to Paddington and then they were getting a Paddington train elsewhere. And this Paddington train was their train north from Paddington was an, they got to the train and it was an hour delayed. And we, uh, well, I would, we, I'm saying me, if that were me, I'd be like, right, there's an hour. What am I going to do? I'm going to go and get a coffee from here. I'm going to go and get a sandwich from here and a bun from there. And I'm going to stand here and I'll go there. And, you know, you'd, and you'd just start, I would start moving. That's part of my problem anyway, but I would start moving. Um, And she said that, she said to Elliot, who's a millionaire, she said to him, oh, Elliot, the train is um, the train's going to be an hour. And they were just standing looking at the boards, just standing looking at the boards. 
and the departure boards it's going to be an hour um what what do you want to do we can get you a drink or something to eat and he said oh no i'm happy and he just stood and waited for an hour for the train and when the train came they went and got on it and i was like that to me this is a rambling way of saying that if without with if you spend more time with people you want, you get to know you hear some so much money more gems of or interesting things than you do if you um yeah you get a 10 minute interview like with a footballer that's like the press officers waiting and all that stuff um that just was just an amazing story to me and that uh yeah i, I suppose there's parallels with the idea that i like being out out for long days at the minute and also taking my time over like getting to understand people as best I can yeah it's incredible that the fastest man on earth is also the best at being still and, and learning to wait <laughs> he's they they are in like they and I say they with the like um he lives in this sort of zen like and forgive me you probably know this but he has they have this he has a training camp that's sort of in up in the sort of highlands in Kenya and they spend Monday to Friday there and then they go back to him and his training group men and women in this it's almost like a dormitory style bunkhouse um and they spend Monday to Friday there and I spent a couple of days in and around that and yeah it it's either moving or sitting you know or just relax you know there's not um no it's he is very good at being still um which probably why as you say it's probably why he's very good at being fast as well (laughs) and it's interesting because one could think that the kind of the additional moving visual element of documentary making makes it more involved than writing a bit kind of like that cliche of running only needing a pair of running shoes and cycling needing all the kit kind of thing but you've touched on there with your long form pieces they've actually involved living alongside your subjects like Kipchoge and am I right in thinking that you've also done that with the um the Hadza tribe in northern Tanzania yeah that must be an incredibly immersive experience and then as you commented at, at the beginning of of our chat that it's about being succinct as well with that time that you've spent um and there's a real element of craft there that then goes into distilling that immersion down into into that profile <laughs> and I was wondering if you could just kind of reflect on that process I always think that process is quite brutal because you've got all this <laughs> You've got all this sort of experience and it becomes um it becomes a thousand words or something you're like oh my goodness like well yeah for me it probably took me three minutes to explain that Kipchoge sort of staring at the board story um so I always think that well one I think that process is quite brutal and and so much gets it always saddens me and documentaries are even probably even more brutal uh, in my like I've only been doing it for a year or two so I'm not gonna in any way like profess to be um yeah a, a pro- professional in any way but the the process was always really brutal there's so much that gets left on the like cutting room floor or things that you felt like you wanted to say that just gets going so I always find that like almost like a quite a sad 
sad process because you're just cutting from the start and it and you're you're cutting away the bits that maybe don't shouldn't make it and don't make it but it, it's quite a yeah it's quite a um yeah brutal process and quite um at the same time then you're distilling aren't you and you're you're um you're finding the most interesting and most like relevant important bits and so in a way um in a way like when i used to work at in print journalism in london that like our old tutors and the people that i sort of was taught journalism by they were quite um they were had all been fleet street journalists and they were quite they were very um succinct i would say and it's like you find an angle you have to find an angle every story has an angle right you can't just be you can't just be four or five six thousand words of like waffling you know yes you'd love to include loads of great bits but every story has to have an angle you've got to find it and go with it and that um and that's quite uh while it's brutal it's also quite um simple and creative you sit there with like a blank page and like okay well what what am I going to do where's the angle like what's my angle here um I think the Hadza story we started I started talking about um I can't remember how you I opened that something to do with um being out on a on a run with the Hadza and uh you know they were walking and I was running and and that yeah you just yeah you just have to find a there's always an angle so there's it's a there's a brutal there's a brutal side to it but there's also quite a light i suppose that's the the art form or the light it's actually quite a fun side where you, the adrenaline gets going and you're like okay i need to find something i need to find an angle and i need to get going and um what is it what am i going to write or what are we going to what are we going to say in this section of the doc i think your pieces are always very good at at scene setting they do seem to have a kind of cinematic quality of you kind of build that world um we're there and then you sort of drop the subjects into it in a way yeah well I suppose that I um I love I think more than anything uh, you know I'm just I just try and try my best at that stuff that's the sort of thing I love more than anything else in any sort of storytelling of any like of any um you know, long form long form magazine journalism journalism is probably my favorite thing of all time to sit down and read so and any time that any time that there's what i would always like think of as like color or the color around the story you know what someone was wearing where they were what the fit what it felt like what the sun was like what the fire was crackling what any time as much like I would happily read someone's like most like flamboyant they no one can be too flamboyant for me about about color like I love that stuff so um it's flattering and that like I, I like that you know it's really nice that you've said that 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 comes through but that's probably just a um it's just a reflection of how how much I love the way other people do that there's some like I there's some um there is some brilliant there was a like um jeremy strong G, jeremy strong and gq uh interview the other day um that kendall he's kendall in um succession i don't know if you've watched that but 
there was a there was a color interview with him in there and one in the new yorker a while back and there was just so much like it's it's a little bit sometimes i suppose old school journalism would say it's like the journalists are showing off a little bit i was here and i was there and jeremy was wearing this and but i love all that i love that stuff because that's the for me that's the stuff that the reader like you're as a often like you're in a really privileged position i've been in some really really privileged positions and um when i'm reading someone else's stuff i want i want to know what i want to know what that jeremy strong was only wearing brown like that brown hat and a and a brown two hats both of them brown i love all that stuff so to me that's a to me that's the sort of storytelling that i would like to read and that's that's why I try and that's what I'm drawn to in, in trying to to write, I suppose. It's like being a painter in a way, having your your sketchbook of filled sketches that you then take back and you build up into the painting in a studio in a way. Yeah, you're given the light. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you're you're just giving the um the reader or the someone who's watching, you're giving them the insight that they yeah, they might not get the chance to get. And does that approach translate into your documentary making as well? Um, I think so. I'm I'm I've been in the documentary team for like eighteen months now in our or eighteen months to two years at, at the BBC, and I think like that's been a massive massive learning curve for me because I wasn't necessarily in that uh yeah that's been a huge huge learning curve for me um i think bringing out the sort of human story when so when i did the lionesses before christmas lionesses champions of europe get on get on iplayer have a watch in fact they won the finalissima didn't they last night they uh beat brazil last night so um it it all feels relevant again but that um I was keen and tried to bring out the sort of, even in that, bring out the, it was a retelling of what happened in the summer. So, or last summer, it was a retelling of what uh, the Lionesses did win the Euros um, in 2022 in the summer, which was an amazing, um, yeah, which was just an amazing story. But I I was keen and wanted to, even though that was a out and out footballing story to be very chronological and simple in lots of ways the structure of the documentary was very simple in that uh we went through the tournament game by game but i wanted to bring out some of those some of the stories behind the the players and so we sort of broke out of the game sometimes and talked about um mary Earps, the man, man united goalkeeper who had sort of almost quit a year or two before um because i just yeah it's just so everything's so much more interesting or um so much more interesting if you're engaged in in the people that are taking part it, and so i was keen that we we brought out some of those stories inside the doc so and human stories i suppose like that that's um that's what i would always want to like what's the why is someone doing this what's the what's motivating them what's the sort of the story behind this that behind the this great goal that someone scored or wicket they've taken or like world record they've set 
you know that's the that to me is the most interesting part of of anything and you touched on there you know that it's taken work and learning and so often when we see these things um on the tv screen it's this kind of conjuring act as if this thing has just appeared by magic and actually there's this whole story of, of, of kind of dedication and, and resilience that goes behind the crafting of that. Um, and I'm curious, um, perhaps specifically in the case of the, the lionesses, what was the experience of going from kind of the, those initial ideas to then to, to the cutting room? What's, what's the process that's involved in that? You're talking about like my our story of making it rather than the stories of yeah Beth Mead or um their stories of getting to where they are on the pitch um I think well then now I'm trying to think about it I mean the the overarching idea for the story was and I think quite a few other people jumped on this. I think um, I think there's a Sky Doc, and and I think um, someone else did one as well. So the overact, you know, that it wasn't like there was no uncovering. Uh, there was no like uh, investigative journalism around the story. It was like this was an amazing moment for the women's game, and people will want to relive that. Um, there was. So then we, then I guess we thought um, how to do it. And obviously there's sort of, um, with all things, there's budget constraints. And so we were, I and we in the like production team talked about um, how and where we would do it. And so there was um, the idea sort of came that we would, we would retell the story in, in the eyes of the players. And that meant that meant that we could um, sit down with them, and it would be effectively be their story, which I think I and we sort of thought was like would be more powerful. Then there was a discussion around um, even how it was filmed. So we decided that it, that all the interviews would be shot down the down the barrel. So often now in documentary interviews, there's like um, it, you'll be just off off right or just off left the eye line of the interviewee you'll be just off right or just off left and we um we decided to do it down the barrel because um literally down the lens because i don't know it felt like the the some of the the players really it's without sounding too worthy the players really connected with you know the audience and the nation and so we felt like they would be telling you the viewer what happened and and their experience of it we felt that would be um a little bit more powerful and then we then it's just okay we've got five six games what are the sort of you get the post-it notes out and you're like okay what are the um how are we going to sort of take the audience on a bit of a you know we knew what happened everyone who's watching that program pretty much probably turned on knowing that the lionesses win so how are we going to take the sort of emotions on an up and down um a bit of a roller coaster during the tournament get the post-it notes out and be like game by game almost okay what's up what are we trying to sort of um what emotion are we trying to um make people feel in this game the first game against austria 
was quite tight and England were the hosts. It was an, an incredible environment, uh, atmosphere, like full house at Old Trafford, but it was a really nervous, cagey games and they only just scraped through 1-0. So, you know, then we're like, okay, we want to build some tension. We want to, um, we want people to think, oh, I don't know if they're going to do this. Are they, are they going to win? They're really struggling here. And then the next game, they go and beat Norway 7-0 at, in Brighton and it's a warm summer's night and it's almost like a carnival. So yeah, trying. So with post-it notes and with sort of um, uh, a chat with the, um, so we, the BBC, we, I don't edit the, I don't um, have the sort of skills on Final Cut Pro or Avid or any of those things to edit. So I sit with an editor. Uh, so I was sitting with, Be- with Becca um an amazing editor and she and i were were like talking the whole time we're talking this process through so there's always at least two of you um and then yeah we had our post-it note board and we just um and we also staggered the interview so we do four or five of the players and then we had people um some of the broadcasters and some of the other players later on in the process um so that the the narrative the story had started to build and then we had people that could we knew how we wanted them to fill that fill in the gaps. Um, yeah. And you're sort of touching on that. I'm interested in how you strike that balance, both in um, documentary making and also long form interviews between that preconceived nudging of where you want something to go and then allowing the subject to evolve organically are you aware of needing to hold that balance or where that balance kind of lies I think that's a really difficult balance yeah Mm. it's a really difficult balance um I think there's probably yeah that's a really difficult balance we made one of the first documentaries I was sort of involved in was um Free Spirits which was a a documentary about skiers, skiers and snowboarders from Britain who had grown up um, sort of in northern towns and cities, the north, the northwest of the UK, in towns with no um, no snow and no um, well, very little snow, and so they'd learn freestyle skiing and freestyle snowboarding on these um, on either dry slopes or in indoor sort of ski centres in the UK. And that was a followed, that was a like um, observational documentary. So we literally, I mean, we knew it was whether they were going to make it to the Olympics or not. That was the sort of, here's these kids from, who have no right to be going to the Olympics, not in ski, ski and snowboarding anyway. Will they make it? Um, so the, the overarching, like, it was the sort of, will they, won't they narrative, I suppose. But the, you know, especially on the early shoots, we it was like, Right, go to go to Italy, Tom, and just sort of see what happens. Um, and it's exhausting for the camera, the camera up, the camera ops, because you know I'm we're I'm, we're just saying we'll just just keep filming. Um, so on those, so something like that, um, you don't know really where it's going. Um, but I think in hindsight, we actually even in that you can be a bit you need to be prescriptive about a little bit prescriptive about what your um what the story is and what you're kind of looking for so i suppose um 
there's well it comes back to there's always an angle i suppose what i said to you before like even if if you go there with if you go to an interview or if you go to um i mean you we're, we're chatting today you'd have you've obviously prepped and you've obviously like know know some some bits and some areas that you wanted to go because if we just if we just sort of turned up and chatted it would you know some of my chats probably been like unwieldy anyway but if if we had just turned up and chatted it would be you know there's this idea that all of that will be fluid and it will work and we'll get somewhere i think everything needs a structure of some of some degree is what i'm is what i'm getting at it's still a question of you go on that journey with someone don't you and as you say there's there's some structure around it and then there's some some fluidity as well and you you mentioned at the beginning kind of the the connection between your own experience and sort of quite a masculine dominated area in football and then and then the experience with the lionesses and sort of having different ideas around what football could be and where it can go specifically in women's sports and when you when you do spend time with someone interviewing them or, or making these kind of immersive documentaries it is it's sort of like the trajectory of a relationship really I'm interested like what imprints of these of these relationships had on you had have you had a sense of yourself changing or being changed by them um I think I think the I've been well there's two answers to that I think I think I've been I've certainly been changed and affected by some of those some of the people I've been lucky enough to meet you know that uh, the Kipchoge story like stays with you know and, and they that that stays with me that sort of I guess um that's just a real sense of um uh wasn't gonna I was gonna say gratitude but it's not that it's just sort of um um not not striving or wanting for more all the time and I think that you know just being prepared to just stand and wait for an hour sounds really mundane but that things like that I think really have really do affect and I've said before I'm I'm one to keep moving so I I try and take some of that stuff on um and I think I think the lionesses and I think I just think in in general the sort of move to the move from being in a in a very male of playing football and being in there in a sort of newsroom that was like quite male or very male to being at the BBC that's um uh, a lot you know way 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 more diverse than that sort of London experience to me and then making a documentary about the lionesses and hearing about you know the fact that football was banned for women until 1970 I mean banned banned until 1971 or from 1919 to 71 I think it was um that I just that can't help but affect, you know I was born in 83 so 12 years before that women weren't even allowed to play for weren't allowed to you know it's just that can't knowing that and then knowing and making a story we didn't really make that story it was more about the summer because we didn't really have time or the or we felt like we should focus on the because the ban had been talked about quite a lot and that would be a it would have got historical and we were trying to keep it current but 
but the players talked about they know the the women's players are, are very aware of the ban and very aware of the like um only starting to um yeah they're they're as much pioneers and like advocates for their game um as as sort of players often they've been fighting for recognition effectively so that like and and you know I grew up with like in a uh well yeah privileged privileged white man and so that um I can't I like to think I can't help but be affected by and take on board some of that some of that um so yeah I like to think and I hope that it does change my outlook and certainly has and yeah I think it's um yeah you're almost embarrassed I feel almost, I wasn't around, but I feel almost, it's almost embarrassing that, well, it is embarrassing to me, you know, that, yeah. 10 years before I was born, women weren't allowed to play football. It's just, this feels incredible to me. And I hope that doesn't sound right. No, not at all. I mean, it is, it is astonishing. And even, you know, the lionesses asking for changes to the colour of the kit because no one's thought about the fact that when a woman's on her period, she doesn't want to wear white shorts, really. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, there is, we could talk, we could have a whole different podcast about the that sort of journey of the women's, of the, like, women's football and everything women's football has had to do and continues to have to do. Um, yeah, it's, um yeah. It doesn't reflect well on the yeah uh, men down the years, let's say. But I mean, you've given a platform to some other important voices, such as like Alison Felix talking about maternity rights and sports as well. And in terms of the stories that you think are currently important, where would you most like to go now in terms of shining a light in those areas? What other stories are there? Hmm. Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, I, I, I love Alison Felix. I just think Alison. I'm. I love everything about that story. Not because of, not because of how it was in any way written just because Alan, Alison Felix to me, like I find it personally, I find her sort of like, I mean, she was a a beautiful runner or is a beautiful runner, but on the track, she was just like, basically perfection as a runner. She just looked beautiful. Um, and I love the fact that like when I chatted to her, you know, um, she was a, by her own admission, a, a, a woman that like really struggled to find her voice um, or a person that really struggled to find her voice. I think we all, like, everyone can probably relate to that in certain ways. And she, she um, would just do what coach said and she wouldn't sort of rock the boat. And then she had a child and, um, and she had a really, really difficult pregnancy. So a really, really difficult, well, pregnancy and birth um for and then for her daughter Cameron and then she um yeah she found her voice afterwards and took on Nike about their maternity pay and um like then describes her as a sort of 
athlete, mother, activist, and everything about that sort of, I suppose it's inspiring because it's, it on so many levels, you're not, you don't necessarily have to be one thing forever. Um, so I think that, I think that's really um, inspiring. It's, it's a really inspirational tale uh, as a, a woman, you know, a female tale, I think, but I think it's just a human tale that of like, okay, well, we're, we're one thing for a while, but something changes and we can be like stronger and we can use our voice and we can be assertive and we can sort of um, say what we want or need. And, and I think that is like, I think that was an amazing story. I think, um, I think there's a few things that I'm, a couple of things that I'll just say that I'm interested in. I'm really interested in, and then having said that I'm, I don't care about speed and running and um numbers and strava i'm really i'm really interested in um the rise in sort of ultra running of um when it gets super long women start beating men um that that to me is really fascinating uh and the sort of reasons behind that that there's a lot been written about about it um i love one of so courtney darwater the um American sort of ultra in, uh, ultra runner, and I think Camille Heron, Heron, Camille Heron. Yeah, Camille Heron, who just yeah. um, took the forty-eight hour record. Yeah, people that um, yeah, when it gets really hard, people start beating uh, women. Often uh, over super long distances, start beating men. Um, I'm fascinated. I'm really interested in that that and why that happens. And I've read quite a lot around it, and I'd like to sort of chat to more people about it i love i love one of the theories is that like um e ego sort of starts to go out the window so or ego matters sorry the men basically burn themselves up by running fast at the start and women just are much more like okay i know what yeah there's less ego attached to it so i i'm interested in that i would love to sort of um spend some time with like courtney or someone telling that story i'm into that um and I'm also, uh, I want to, I'm hoping to do it, but I'm hoping to chat to some people. Have you seen the Speed Project in, yes. Uh, the Speed Project, for anyone that doesn't know, is a is a sort of underground race from um, uh, LA to Las Vegas. And I spent quite a lot of time in those, in that, in those places coaching soccer when I was in my early 20s. So I'm interested in that region and i'm interested in that event and um, uh, neil zarent i think his last name is Arendt, who set up that race has got an amazing story so i'm interested in telling in interested in telling that story as well i i guess there's two things there like that um something born out of and um, alison felix's story and that sort of growth of like um yeah or like in looking into ego in sport and where that plays a part as well as sort of athletic ability and and um and then yeah that yeah i suppose that the speed project interests me in part out of peak divide and some of those other things too the the idea of something being a bit more underground and a bit more um yeah and what does recharging your creativity look like between these i guess you could kind of see them as like documentary making or doing really like long form pieces where you're so invested in things, it becomes almost like it's an obsession isn't it? for a while that becomes your thing. So 
how do you kind of then refill your cup I guess for want of a better metaphor between things that's a work in progress (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that's a work yeah no that's a that's um that's a work in progress I think um I absolutely agree like things become completely um all-consuming don't they um like the lionesses was like amazing about a document like two months sitting in a room with like the same person just staring at a screen and edit you know editing is 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 exhausting it's like it's almost like a um when it's over it's like you're delighted but you're almost completely fully institutionalized into you know that someone's patterns what they eat when they're like when they're going to go and have their lunch or whatever it is so um yeah I mean I like to read and I like to yeah that's I like to read so that sort of would help the sort of slowing down process and being like being outdoors um yeah head into the peak district and just sort of hanging out for the day um without like running or maybe not running just walking or something yeah just something still active but slower I suppose is a way to like recharge but in general that's a bad a bad um not one of my um not one of my best uh attributes something I'm working on let's put it that way so yeah recharging it's very important but I'm not the best at it now, I imagine there's always things percolating at, at the back of your mind um, and that you know, that's what makes you good at, at what you do. So what's next for you? What's next? Um, well, there's a couple, so I'm currently, so I'm, so the Lionesses were sort of produced and directed by me, uh, which is really exciting. But and now I'm in the sort of, um assistant producing on a couple of documentaries that we're making at the minute um like one's yeah one football one one cricket actually which is really exciting especially for me having grown up playing cricket a lot um so I've been doing buzzing around doing some interviews for that um which has been which is always really fun because we we sort of yeah you sort of help set them up so you're looking at the room and you're trying to like you're trying to organize the contributor first of all and then and then it's two different worlds right we we talked about it before like the written journalism you're sort of um you're painting a picture and you're trying to sort of uh, create a picture and now yeah with television you're often yeah you're the the room the the look of the interview it needs to be right it needs to have a certain feel and the lighting and everything else so you, you spend a lot of time working on rooms and setups and where it's going to be um, so those two documentaries um, are going on. A couple of long-form pieces, um, one about the, hopefully about the 2005 Ashes. The, the men's Ashes was the Ashes in, that everyone talks about from 2005, but the women also won the Ashes in 2005 for the first time in 42 years, I think. And it was a bit of a, um, it was a big moment for the women's for the women's game in England, but it was sort of semi-forgotten. The men had a, open top bus tour and the women um were on that sort of on the on the same route but behind in a less um less uh stylish uh or less grand um transport so i'm interested in looking into that and that speed project story 
and then just yeah just seeing where like um doing some a few bits of freelance but also um seeing where the peak divide might go where yeah it was a real success i think uh last weekend everyone seemed to enjoy it and uh a couple of people um some we had some beacon runners so we paces effectively but they weren't weren't paces in the sort of like you see at the london marathon with holding a flag with like you know six point six thirty minute miles it was more um they ran in the pack on field which hopefully everyone did and yeah and one of the paces julia davis who is um a real 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 proper runner she's just been picked for the gb ultra trail squad this week um yeah she very kindly said that it was a like a like an event um like a running a running event like she'd never been on before you know like she'd not really seen before or been a part of so hopefully we've sort of tapped into something there so we're definitely going to go for that for 2024 and we're thinking about other options whether there's other places we can do it there's something unique i think about um the well there was something unique about manchester to sheffield through the peak district you're linking two cities and you're um most of it was completely you've got this like mild to wild like um sort of mellow canals and then like wild moors and um yeah cold bogs and hot vimto and you know the all these like juxtapositions of it i think were unique to the peak divide but hopefully maybe there's other areas that we can divide as well so thinking about that too and yeah lots of lots of things whilst also recharging recharging working on the recharging building in opportunities to stare at uh, train time table signs along the way as well <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We got super lucky with there was supposed to be um oh and train timetables. So yes, I've missed that. Yeah, exactly. Train timetables and um yeah, just being like making sure to cat like sit be in the moment as well. Well be sure to put all of your links in the show notes so that people can follow along with that and, and also all the wonderful things that you write. And I'm so grateful for the time outside of all of that that you've given to our conversation today and I'm aware of the half-eaten hot cross bun that's that's staring at you from the desk um so I'll move to my I'll move to my final question which I ask all of my guests which is what does joy mean to you I obviously knew you were going to ask this um well I think joy is joy is being outdoors joy is being um with friends and people that you love, um, whatever that is, friends, partners, whatever that that um, you feel like you can be yourself with and feel sort of um, a connection with, um, and that yeah, that that you feel like they understand you or that you can really truly be yourself. I think that's I think that's joy, and I think um, I think there's like real joy in creating something and that's whether that's like yeah you talked about the hot cross bun whether that's like right yeah a hot cross bun that someone well in fact companio bakery in manchester which is the best bakery in manchester in my opinion um yeah they someone's like been up since three in the morning making that and just like yeah creating something creating things whether that's a really like there's an amazing book, um, Kay Tempest's book about connection. 
that talks about um creativity being like being having a like a really like hopefully between us a, a conversation that's a creative thing like um just yeah like a conversation with someone's creative uh creativity is not a like um has to be like a getting your easel I couldn't get an easel out I'd be I, I can't draw or paint or anything like that um but yeah so being creative in some way I think there's a lot of joy to be had in that I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.